You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Okay, we are back in the book of Jonah today. We have finally made it to Jonah chapter 3. Here we are. And so let me start today uh, by... by referring to what, what I, many would consider, I would probably consider the greatest hymn in the history of the church. Uh, the song was published in 1779 by a slave trader turned Christian, turned pastor. His name was John Newton, and the song is called Amazing Grace. It's essentially Newton's spiritual biography put to song. And here's the first verse. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Verse 2. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed." Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. And then I love uh, verse 6. It's the last verse we often sing with it. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Grace. Grace really is amazing, isn't it? You know, when I think about my goal in preaching, just week in, week out, doing the thing we're doing right now together, uh, one way I would summarize what the goal of preaching is, is it is to lift up the grace of God as seen in the person of Jesus. To lift it up for us to to stare at it together, to see it together, to behold it together, to consider it together. And then as we're doing that, to pray that God himself would visit us in such a way where that grace would actually feel amazing to us. That's that's what we're doing in a a morning like this. We're staring at the grace of God as seen in Jesus just asking God to astonish us freshly with his grace, to really amaze us with his grace. Now, why is that the goal each morning when we gather like this? Well, listen to Sinclair Ferguson explain why that is. He says it this way. He says, being amazed by God's grace is a sign of spiritual vitality. So so being amazed with God's grace, it is a litmus test of how firm and real our grasp of the Christian gospel is. The growing Christian finds that the grace of God astonishes and amazes. The the growing Christian finds the grace of God astonishes, it, it amazes us. Your vitality, spiritual vitality, your sort of liveliness with God, your affections and desires for God and wants of God, your vitality is linked to your amazement. This is why Jesus said to Simon in Luke 7, he who's forgiven much loves much, but he who's forgiven little loves little. 
Now, translated, Jesus is saying, the more grace amazes you, the more lovely I'll look to you. That's what he's saying. The more grace amazes you, that the more amazing I'm going to be to you, the more lovely I'm going to look to you, the more you're going to want me, desire me, live for me. Your vitality is linked to your amazement. And then Sinclair Ferguson goes on to say this. A chief reason for the weakness of the Christian church in the West, for the poverty of our witness and our lack of vitality in our worship, probably lies here. We sing about amazing grace and speak of amazing grace, but far too often it has ceased to amaze us. Sadly, we might more truthfully sing of accustomed grace. We have lost the joy and the energy that are experienced when grace amazes us. Now, when I come across a sentence like that, it makes me ask the question, is that true of me? Is that, has that happened to me? Have I gone from amazed by the grace of God to accustomed to the grace of God? Has it just lost its wonder and awe and astonishment in my heart? Does, does the word amazing describe how I feel about the word grace? Is that true for me? And so here's the goal for today. I, I want to explore three verses. The first three verses in Jonah chapter 3. It's a text that lifts up the grace of God for us to see and consider and to, to really just marvel at. And as we're doing that, can we just kind of collectively all pray together that the Lord would visit us in such a way today to astonish us with his grace, to amaze our hearts with his grace, to bring fresh wonder and awe to our heart at his amazing grace. Okay, so let's remember the storyline. Let me just recall where we have been in the story of Jonah thus far. God comes to Jonah in Jonah chapter 1, and God says to, to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh and call out against it. Go to Nineveh, and I want you to say uh, what I want you to say to the people of Nineveh. And in chapter 1, verse 3, I am expecting, the first time I read the story, I am expecting for it to say, and Jonah goes to Nineveh and does exactly, he's a prophet of God, he does exactly what God told him to, to do. But that is not what we find. We find a surprising turn in the story. Jonah runs from God. It's the storied presentation of sin. He runs from God. But even more surprising than Jonah running from God, we find in verse 4 of chapter 1 that God runs after Jonah. It's the storied presentation of grace, of God running after Jonah. And this story, Jonah, this book is in the Bible in some ways to teach us about the grace of God, about who God is in his grace. This book is here for us to stare at the grace of God, to marvel at it, to, to wonder at it. This is why we have the, the book of Jonah. So in verse 4, grace takes the form of a storm. It's the tender violence of God, and God sends this storm to rescue Jonah, not to ruin him, but to save Jonah. And in what is likely Jonah, in his mind, his final act of defiance, Jonah looks at the sailors in verse 1, 
and says, throw me into the storm. Throw me into the sea. Jonah, his defiance is deep. He would rather die than comply with God. This is how deep the defiance is in him. But as we have seen over the last few weeks, grace has never lost a race. Amen? Aren't we grateful that grace is like that? It has never lost a race. So now grace takes the form of a fish. And just like the storm, God sent the fish not to ruin Jonah, but to rescue Jonah. God took Jonah down to the roots of the mountain, down into a place of absolute and all-out desperation. And when Jonah finally got to the end of himself, Jonah finally got to the deliverance of God. And after three days in the belly of the fish, God caused the fish to vomit Jonah on the beach. And now after all that running... After all that defiance, after all the drama of chapter 1 and 2, we are at chapter 3. And it says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Wouldn't it have been so much easier if verse 3 sounded like that? So what do we learn about the grace of God? Let me point out four things we learn about grace. Number one, grace does not get tired. Grace doesn't get tired. You, you might underline that phrase. It's right there in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. That, that phrase, the second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Part of what that phrase, the second time, is showing us is that pursuing grace perseveres. It doesn't give up. In some ways, this text is showing us why grace has never lost a race. And here's why grace has never lost a race. It's because grace doesn't get tired. It can just run further than you can. You get tired before grace gets tired. Grace doesn't get tired. It comes for us a second time, and a third time, and a fourth time, and a fifth time, and a 100th time, and a 1,000th time. I mean, how many times has grace showed up in your life? Grace just doesn't get tired. But that's not how we often think about the grace of God. Because we have limits to our love, we have limits to our grace, we oftentimes think, surely God must have limits to His. Surely there is a line somewhere that when we cross it, God will get tired of extending grace to us. I mean, we get tired of extending grace, of, of being betrayed, of being sinned against, of, we get tired of difficult people. We get tired of other people's problems. We get tired of our own problems, don't we? I mean, we, we just, we get tired. And because we get tired of giving grace, we assume that God does too. So we think one day we'll cross the line. One day we'll sin our way out of the grace of God. One day we will run so far from God that we will become unrescuable. One day we'll do that. One day we'll blow it so badly that we will be beyond the grace of God. 
I love what John Calvin, a pastor of a few centuries ago, how he said it. He said, there's nothing that troubles our consciences more than when we think that God is like us. But we have limits to our love, boundaries to our grace, but God is not like us. He's not like us in this way. Uh, Throughout the Bible, God's relationship to us, his people, is pictured as a marriage. And here is one thing about the wedding day. Um, On our wedding day, right right before the the ceremony happens, uh, God doesn't slide across the table in front of us a prenup to sign. That's not the way that, that God enters the marriage. He doesn't enter it that way. He enters our marriage in such a way where there are no exits. He's got no contingency plans. He's with us to the end. When God says yes to us, I'm going to marry you. I'm going to bring you into a relationship. When God says yes to us, God's yes is forever. It's forever. That that yes never goes away. I I was thinking this week about John 13 verse 1. Uh, If if you know the book of John, that is sort of a pivot point in the book. Um, In John 13, it's the moment where uh, sort of the the beginning of the end is happening for Jesus. It's the start of the last week of Jesus' life. And here is how the beginning of the end, the beginning of his last week starts. It is, John says this, having loved his own who were in the world, and listen to this phrase, he, talking about Jesus, Jesus loved them to the end. Let me say that one more time to you. This is John 13, verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, Jesus loved them to the end. If you are in Christ this morning. Here is what you can know about grace. It will love you to the end. Here's what you can know about God's gracious heart. There is no prenup. There there are no exit plans for him. He will love you to the end. Even if right now in the middle, you're not at the end yet, Right? So, so even if right now in the middle, you have this massive meltdown, you, you sin in a way that even shocks you. you. You sin so badly that your life completely blows up. Even if right now in the middle, you sin in such a way where your life burns down around you and you are standing in the ashes of your life, even then, God will love you to the end. If there is anyone in the world that God should have given up on, it's me. I don't know of anyone who has committed more to God and failed more often. I don't know of anyone who has let God down more, offended God more. When I think about my life, it feels like a living testimony that grace just doesn't get tired. That God just doesn't give up, that he loves us to the end. And if you are a follower of Jesus in this room, and you just have this aching awareness that you just cannot get your life together, that you just keep screwing up over and over and over again, 
I want to look at you this morning and remind you that God will love you to the end. God doesn't get tired. And you know, here's one of the ways and reasons that we know that. Uh, Do you know why God married you in the first place? God didn't marry you because you were awesome, right? God married you knowing you were an idiot. And he stays married to us knowing that we're an idiot, right? Right? He doesn't marry us because we're awesome and divorce us because, he's, because we're, he knows all of that from the beginning. And God will love us to the end. Grace does not get tired. Or maybe you are a skeptic and you're just sort of kicking the tires trying to figure out are you in on Jesus or not. I want to look at you and I want to say this as clearly as I can. Jesus, that the sort of relationship that Jesus invites you into is one that goes like this. Jesus looks at you on your wedding day and says, I am in forever, to the end. My yes will last forever through your lifetime and for the next billion years. That's how long my love lasts. Grace is amazing because grace doesn't get tired. That's not all we learn about the grace of God. Look again at verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Grace is amazing because it doesn't get tired, but grace is also amazing because grace doesn't keep grudges. It doesn't keep grudges. The natural flow and sort of inclination of the human heart, especially the fallen human heart, is toward reciprocation. Tit for tat. If you punch me, I'm going to punch you back. This is the natural sort of flow that, that, that we find our hearts being inclined toward. Uh, last week, I had a friend, if I can still call him that, I had a friend who literally scared me to death. <laughs> he literally scared me to death. And uh, do you know what I've been doing ever since? Plotting revenge. That's what I've been doing. I, literally, last night, I'm like, Laura, I think this is what I'm going to do. I, for the last five days, I've been plotting revenge. This is the sort of natural inclination and flow of our hearts toward reciprocation. Now, I, I want you to look at this text. And I want you to notice what isn't said in it, what, what you don't read in it. Now, you don't read this. Uh, the fish vomited Jonah out, and then chapter 3, verse 1, and then God killed Jonah. That's what it would say if I were God, but that's not what it says here. Uh, You don't find it saying, and uh, the fish vomited Jonah out, and then God slapped him twice just to make sure he knew that he had done wrong. It it doesn't say that. It it doesn't say, and then God gave him the silent treatment. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, and then God publicly shamed him to pay him back. It, It doesn't say, and God vented all of his frustrations upon Jonah just so Jonah would know how much he hurt the heart of God. It it doesn't say that. Now, notice what the text does say. And and remember, this is before Jonah has admitted a single failure. He has not owned a single sin yet. And here's what the text says. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Aren't we grateful that grace doesn't keep a grudge? Where would we be if God kept a grudge? In some ways, this is the question Psalm 130 verse 3 is asking. 
Uh, the psalmist says, if you, O Lord, should mark our iniquities, who could stand? If you kept a record, you kept a grudge for all of our iniquities, God, who in the world could even stand before you? And it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no one could. No one. If God held a grudge, we would all be in the grave. That's where you would be. That's where I would be. If it was left to karma, Jonah would be at the bottom of the sea. But thankfully, we have something better than karma, don't we? We have grace. We have amazing grace. Uh, The story of the prodigal son just captures this so well, doesn't it? If you remember that story, the son breaks the heart of of God, right? The father is a picture of God in the story. We are a picture of the son. And the son breaks the father's heart. He takes half of his dad's possessions, his, his money, and he runs into the far country. Just getting as far away from the presence of of his dad, of of God, as he can possibly get. And do you remember what happens when he is on the way home? He's He's sort of rehearsing that repentant speech. Right, I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. Now I'm going to be your slave forever. And as soon as the father sees him on the horizon, do you remember what it says happens? The father runs to meet his son. And the son is about to to do the speech that he's rehearsed. I'm no longer worthy. Just make me a hired. And it's like the father just ignores it all. He doesn't even listen to any of it. He grabs his son and he hugs him. And he starts kissing him. And then he brings him back to his house. And he throws this amazing feast for him. Friends, that is the grace of God. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It gives us a God without a grudge. Several years ago, I was jogging and listening to an older pastor uh, preach, and he was telling this story about when he was growing up. And uh, his first job when he was growing up, he was maybe 10 or 11 years old, was delivering newspapers. And it was him and a crew of his friends that would all do that together. And they had this sort of ritual that each morning before they uh, went to get the newspapers, they would stop by this uh, convenience store. And they had this system, intricate system worked out where they had this way that they would steal apple pies from the store. And then they would take the pies out and they would all enjoy it together and they'd go uh, deliver their newspapers. And one day as they were enjoying their apple pies, uh, he remembered that the whole circle started asking that question, what would you do if your dad found out? What, what would happen? And just person after person going around the, the circle was like, man, if my dad found out, he would kill me. The next person, my dad would destroy me. And um, Steve, he was the guy preaching. He said, you know, in that moment, I just remembered thinking, you know what I think my dad would do? I think he would love me. And when I heard that, I stopped the sermon, stopped running, and I just sat down on the curb in our neighborhood, and I just cried. That's the sort of God we have. A few days later, a person sent me a picture of just a scribbled note, and it said on that picture, here's religion, or here's karma. I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. And then it said, here's the gospel. I messed up, 
and I need to call my dad. That's what grace gives us. The gospel gives us a dad to call when we're caught, when we're in the ashes of our life, when we've blown it so bad that we don't know what to do. The good news of Jesus gives us a dad that we can call. The gospel gives us a God without a grudge. Now, let me be clear. Apart from Jesus, God does have a grudge against us. He does hold a grudge. This is why Romans 5 calls us enemies of God. This is why Ephesians 2 says that we are objects of the wrath of God. This is why Romans 6 says the wages of sin, the penalty of sin is is death. This is why Romans chapter 2 verses 5 and 6 say this. These phrases and these um, truths are in the Bible, uh, Romans 2. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. So I want to be clear. If you're not in Christ, God's grudge will ruin you forever. Forever, not not just in this life, but forever. But for all of those in Christ who have pushed their lives into Jesus, for all those in Christ, the gospel announces amazing news that because of Jesus, God's grudge is gone. It has disappeared. Now, how did it disappear? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 shows us how it disappeared. Paul says, for our sake, he made him, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. The sin that was stacked high against us was all stacked onto Jesus. Maybe you could think of it this way. We can have God without a grudge because the grudge was given to Jesus. The grudge smashed into Jesus so that now pursuing grace is sent after us. Pursuing grace is all that is left for us. And this is what we're seeing in Jonah. We are seeing a God without a grudge against Jonah. A God that can look at Jonah and say, all that I could hang over your head, I will one day hang over the head of Jesus. And it's the reason that God can look at us and say, all that I could hang over your head, I have already held upon the head of Jesus. It's God without a grudge. It's the reason that we can sing. Jesus is the reason that we can sing Psalm 102 verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Do you believe that about God? I mean, think about the worst thing that you have ever done in your life. The thing that you hope nobody will ever bring up and you never have to talk about again. Is that not amazing that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed that thing right there from you? It's it's great. It's amazing grace. And grace is amazing because grace doesn't keep grudges. Third, Not only does grace not hold a grudge, grace doesn't give in. 
It doesn't give in. When our oldest Hannah was about two years old, uh, Hannah and I, we went to war. It was an all-out war. Um, We were eating dinner one night, and we put a little bit of everything on the plate, uh, her plate, and a little bit of everything included a couple of green beans. And you probably know where this was going. We just kind of had the general family rule of like, you have to take a bite of everything on the plate just to help expand the palates a little bit, all that good stuff. And, uh, and when you do that, then you're finished eating. So we have a great dinner. I mean, it's, everything's amazing. Everybody's having a great time um, until we get to the end of dinner and Hannah looks at me and says, okay, I'm done. I'm ready to get down. And I said, well, you would be done. You just have that one green bean that needs to get in your mouth somehow. And it's at that moment that the war began. Um, it's me, it's Hannah. Uh, we are at the kitchen table and, and we are waiting hours not minutes. This war lasted hours, waiting, uh, wondering when will that green bean go in her mouth, or who will give up first, right? I mean, that's really the question in a moment like this. Can you hold out as a parent? And so I defended myself from uh, forks being thrown, uh, from food being thrown. I took several naps in the meantime. And finally, I just got to the place of saying, you win, I'm getting, no, I didn't. Finally, the green bean went down. Now, that little moment, that that little war is a picture of grace at work in Jonah's life. Of God just being unwilling to let Jonah win in this moment. Unwilling to, to budge. Now, notice again what the text doesn't say here. The text doesn't say, and then God realized this command just, it just wasn't gonna work for Jonah. So let's alter the command to kind of fit what might work for Jonah. That's not what you read in chapter 3. It it doesn't say when when God realized this command was offensive to Jonah, he, he sort of just changed it to make it a little more palatable for him. That's not what we see happening here, is it? We don't see this sort of a thing going on. Now notice what the text does say. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying. Now what is God going to say when he comes back the second time? Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. He says the exact same thing. Jonah chapter 3 verse 2 is a a replica of Jonah chapter 1 verse 2. God doesn't budge in this moment. God doesn't lessen the demand of that command. God doesn't lower the uh, the cost of Jonah following that. God doesn't enter into negotiations with Jonah. Uh, Jonah, what do you think it should be? And then we'll meet somewhere. God doesn't do that. Uh, The command stays consistent. Grace doesn't give in. Uh, Take the Ten Commandments for a moment. Could you imagine God looking at us and saying, here's commandment number one, have no other gods before me. And then God turns around and looks at us and says, you know what, I know, I know that's hard. So how about we make a deal? Just don't have more than one in front of me. Could we just do that? I mean, two is really the line where it's going to be too much for me. So I'm going to give you one God to put before me. Could you imagine God saying that? No, that's not the way that God operates. 
Grace does not give in. That's the reason God doesn't do that. It wouldn't be loving and kind of God to operate like that with us. Now, why is that? Well, it's because God knows what is good for us. More than you know what is good for you, more than I know what is good for me, God knows what is good for us. God is our maker, and as our maker, God knows what is best for you, for me, for us together. And every time we say yes to God, yes to what God says about our sexuality, yes to what God says about marriage, yes to to what God says about forgiveness, yes to what God says about money and possessions, every time we say yes to God, we are taking another step down the path toward human flourishing. But every time we say no to God, we are taking another step down the path away from human flourishing. God actually knows best. Now, think about this with Jonah for a moment. Why did God not lessen the command, alter the command to kind of fit what Jonah wanted it to say? Well, Jonah is a Hebrew nationalist. So what Jonah is. It is, it is Israel first, and really it's Israel only. Israel is the only place Jonah really cares about, the only people he really cares about. He could not see that God's heart went beyond the nation of Israel. Now, hear me. Because Jonah was that type of guy, he created that type of God. And this is what we so often do. Whatever our type is, we create a God that fits with that type. He was that type of God, and he created that type of God. This is Jonah's problem. He recreated the God of the Bible to fit into a God of his preferences, of his leanings, of his want, of his desires. And Jonah, the God that he recreated, would never rescue Nineveh. It would only ruin Nineveh. That's Jonah's God. This is, the, this is the God that Jonah had, the, the recreated imaginary God that Jonah had made up. But then, in Jonah chapter 1 verse 2, the real God showed up and said, Jonah, here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to take my message to your enemies over there, those people that you can't stand, those people that you really want me to ruin. I, I want you to take my message over there in hopes of me rescuing. That's what I want you to do, Jonah. And when the real God showed up with that command that reflects his heart, when the real God showed up, Jonah, like so many of us, ran. How can I get away from that God? I don't like that God. Surely that's not the real God. Yeah, that's the real God that showed up. It just didn't fit Jonah's preferences. It it wasn't his imaginary God. God loved Jonah too much to give in to Jonah because giving in to Jonah would have left Jonah with his make-believe God. So grace doesn't give in. So God comes with the same, exact same command again. Arise, verse 2 of chapter 3. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Grace, friends, will not give in to our preferences. It will not give in to our wants. It will not give in to our desires. It is committed to shaping us into God's desires. Now, we often think the opposite about grace, though. 
Grace to us so often means God will do the budging, not me. I remember years ago sitting across from a friend of mine who um, wanted to marry a precious lady. I was brought in really late to the relationship and really late to them um, uh, kind of getting together. And the, the problem was, is my friend was wanting to marry a gal who had been divorced without biblical grounds for that divorce. And it was such a painful moment for me. I had to look at my friend and say something that I knew would break his heart. I had to look at my friend and say, um, Jesus is calling you to love this lady. And here is what loving this lady would look like. It would look like you saying to her that Jesus wants you to turn back to your previous marriage, not start a new one with me. And my friend, when I said that, looked at me and said, where is grace? And this is what we often believe about grace, isn't it? When, when the command actually cuts across what we want in life, we begin to see grace as something that is affirming everything we want in life. But grace is not God agreeing with us. Grace is God freeing us to agree with him. I remember looking at my friend and saying, grace is right here. It's in the command. It is, it is in what Jesus wants for you and this precious lady. There is grace. It, it's right there. Grace does not give in. It doesn't negotiate because God wants to, to get us out of, of this worship of an imaginary God, and he wants us to get to him, the, the real God. So grace does not give in. And lastly, and we'll finish here, grace gets us going. Grace gets us going. Parents, think about the way you try to secure obedience in the life of your kids. Uh, and if you're not a parent, uh, you can just think about how your parents try to secure obedience from you. Um, so often it is some combination of guilt. You don't want to be the worst human being ever, do you? Guilt. Um, fear. If you do that, I will fill in the blank, right? Guilt, fear, or maybe shame, right? You will never, if you do that, you will never live that down to so do the right thing, right? So, so some combination of, of guilt, fear, and shame. But that's not how God motivates us. It's not by guilt, not by fear, not by shame, but by grace. By grace. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And then verse 3 happens. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, what melted Jonah's heart? It wasn't fear. wasn't shame. wasn't guilt. What melted Jonah's heart was grace. Amazing grace. 
Grace that doesn't get tired. Grace that doesn't hold a grudge. Grace that will not give in to us. Grace got Jonah going. Now, to be sure, the work in Jonah wasn't done. Right? Chapter 4 is coming. We're going to see that there's still work left to do in the heart of Jonah. But the grace of God got him going. It had begun. That work of God had begun in Jonah's heart. In a lot of ways, verse 3 of Jonah chapter 3 is a storied presentation of Romans chapter 2 verse 4 when Paul says, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads you to repentance. The kindness, the grace of God that leads you to repentance. This is what happens when grace grips us. The commands that used to horrify us, the commands that we used to hate, now actually begin to create happiness in us, joy in us. Grace kicks open the door of obedience for us to walk through. And friends, if grace can get Jonah going, do you know what it can do for you and me today? Amazing grace can get us going. Amen? Will you bow with me? I'm going to give you just a moment to allow the Spirit of God to press into you what would be most helpful today. To wipe away the things that would not be helpful. Maybe you could ask the Lord, what, what is the one thing you really want me to, to receive from your heart today? Some of us are in the ashes of our life right now. We have blown it so badly that we don't think we'll ever be able to recover. Oh, that you would hear God say to you today, I will love you to the end. I didn't marry you because you were awesome. I won't divorce you because you're an idiot. I will love you to the end. Maybe you're here today and when you think about your life, there's there's this lingering suspicion that God is just always disappointed with you. That God may not hate you, but he's got a couple of grudges against you. Man, may this be a morning where the Lord just frees you of that. Where Jesus just opens your heart freshly again to his amazing grace. If you're in Christ, you have no grudge to be worried about. And maybe for some of us in this room today, this is the moment God wants to save you, to bring you into this type of a marriage with no prenups, with no exit strategies, with just a God saying, to the end, I'm in with you. Forever, I am in with you. 
And if that's you today, if you don't know Jesus, if there's never been a moment where you have pushed your life all the way in with him, that you've taken that decisive step toward him, this is your moment. There where you are, you can cry out to God, God, here is my life. I am trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Save me. Cry out to God right there where you are, and God stands so willing, so ready to rescue you. So God, would you do your work in this room? God, would you amaze us yet again with grace? God, would we, would we be a people who die someday astonished by grace? God, would you do that miracle in us of sustaining our amazement, of keeping us astonished, of keeping us in awe? Help us not to grow accustomed. God help us. It's in your good name that we ask it. Amen.